Good morning, church family. I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. As I shared with you a few weeks ago, this coming year, this year, 2022, we're going to focus on six aspects of the church as we reflect together on who God has called us to be as a body of believers. And for January and February, our focus is on evangelism. And of course, I've shared with you before that there is no other program in the life of our church that brings so many people to our campus than Upward Basketball. And it's been so encouraging to see a number of you here on Saturdays uh, just having conversations with people and encouraging others. And what a joy it is to see us live our lives on mission with God. And so this week and next week, we're going to reflect together on this subject of evangelism. Today from Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and following down through chapter 10. And next week from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we reflect on Christ and the mission that he has given to, given to his church, we see here in the gospel of Matthew that Jesus has indeed given this gospel call, this responsibility of his followers to take up his mission and declare that mission around the world. In fact, this passage of scripture teaches us that Jesus's mission is our mission. Jesus's mission is our mission, motivated by compassion, grounded in prayer, and demonstrated through obedience. I want us to see today Jesus's mission is our mission. Hear the text of Scripture from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, notice what he was proclaiming, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every, every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is huge. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus' mission is our mission, motivated by compassion, grounded in this call to prayer and demonstrated through obedience. I want you to see Jesus' mission here in verse 35. Listen how Matthew gives us a summary of Jesus' mission. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. This is the second time in the book of Matthew, where Matthew has given us this summary statement of Jesus' ministry. 
Hear the first summary statement in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee. Notice in chapter 9, the Bible says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. In other words, Jesus' ministry from chapter 4 to chapter 9 has extended beyond the city boundary, if you will, of Galilee and now has penetrated into every city and village in Israel. He went throughout all of Galilee, chapter 4, verse 23, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus' mission is for all people. We will continue reading down into chapter 10. And as Jesus gives his mission, particularly to his disciples, he first tasks his disciples to take this gospel narrative, particularly to the nation of Israel. Here, chapter 10, verse 6, Jesus says, But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus' mission first being directed to the nation of Israel would be no surprise to us, for we spent nearly two years in the book of Romans. And you might remember in Romans where Paul wrote, the gospel is the power of God into salvation to all believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. What we see fleshed out here in Matthew chapter 10 is what Paul has reflected upon theologically, that indeed Jesus' first mission is to the lost sheep in the house of Israel. This is what Jesus, for example, in Matthew chapter 4, as Matthew reflects, has been doing. Jesus has been in the little community of Galilee in the northern part of Israel, and he is there spending his time focused upon reaching the Jewish people who have, in every measurable way, rejected Jesus as Messiah. But then we come to chapter 9, and Paul is, or excuse me, Matthew has given us another editorial note that Jesus' ministry has widened beyond the sphere, the boundaries of the city of Galilee. And now look what Jesus is doing. Jesus' ministry has extended to every city and to every village in the nation of Israel. And what is Jesus' ministry? What is Jesus' mission? Jesus' mission ultimately is this proclamation of, notice what Matthew said, both in chapter 4, repeated here in chapter 9, and also repeated again in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus' mission is declaring the kingdom of Uh, the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And as we think about Jesus' mission and declaring this gospel narrative, of course, in Matthew chapter 9 and into Matthew chapter 10, the totality of understanding Jesus' mission has not yet been fully uh, communicated to Jesus' disciples. We ultimately understand that Jesus' full mission, the full narrative of the gospel of the kingdom, is indeed this narrative of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But we know that Jesus has been going throughout these cities and these villages, teaching in the synagogues, 
this message of repentance and faith and trust and hope in him as the promised Messiah that had been given to the nation of Israel. Notice what Jesus is doing. First of all, Matthew tells us he is teaching in their synagogues. Isn't it interesting? Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, that is. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has told his disciples that he is going to make them fishers of men. Jesus tells his disciples that in Matthew chapter 4, and from Matthew chapter 4 up until Matthew chapter 9, and then moving into chapter 10, what we see is Jesus himself has in some ways been exclusively that single fisher of men. You'll remember the narrative from the Gospel of Matthew. Following chapter 4, what happens in chapters 5, 6, and 7? We know that as the most famous sermon in all of the text of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching in all of these little cities, in all of these little villages, the truths of the Word of God. One of my favorite memories in being in the nation of Israel occurred in 2018 with Pastor Travis and Brother Jimmy. We landed a day early before we began our work on the West Bank, working among Palestinian Muslims, and we rented a car and tried to follow GPS, but the GPS was, you know, ways in Israel is all in, in, in Hebrew, so that was a fun experience. But we did make our way to a number of stops, and we landed and immediately bolted up to the northern part of Israel to go to the Sea of Galilee, and there located along the shore of Galilee is a little community that has been excavated uh, in, over the course of just the last 10 years. It, it was a city that was unknown until about 2009, and a lot of ex- excavations have taken place in this little community over the course of the last 10 to 15 years, and we took a little tour. They've unearthed this first century Jewish synagogue, and it's right on the shore of Galilee, literally from, from here to Jones Creek is this little community. And you can see even where they've unearthed there the, the stone in which they would have set the scroll from which the Jewish priests would have taught the people the word of God. I remember as we were walking around inside that small uh, little area, it could have all been housed easily on this side of our sanctuary, someone asked the lady that was giving us a tour if they could pick up one of those rocks uh, there on the ground and, and take it home with them. And the lady responded by encouraging us to leave those rocks so that other people could come and see this place, no doubt a village that Jesus himself would have been in, no doubt a synagogue that Jesus himself would have taught in. And she said, instead of taking that rock home with you, won't you take home the true message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? But a beautiful depiction located along this Sea of Galilee, a place that Jesus himself would have spent time. Notice what the text of Scripture says, teaching in their synagogues. Why? 
Because this narrative of the gospel of the kingdom is a story that is grounded firmly in the text of Scripture. And friends, there is no way for you or me to have a right relationship with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ apart from the word of God that we find in the text of Scripture. So Jesus is taking the truths of the word of God and he is teaching in their synagogues. But not only is he teaching, the Bible says he is, he's proclaiming this gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching the word of God with the hope that these people's hearts would be converted and turned to faith and hope and trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only is Jesus teaching and preaching the truths of the kingdom of God. Jesus is also meeting the needs of people exactly where they are. Jesus is, notice what the text of scripture says, he is healing every disease and affliction. But as Jesus performs this ministry that includes proclaiming the gospel, that includes teaching and proclaiming who he is, and also simultaneously meeting the needs of the people exactly where they are. Notice as Matthew moves on from this summary description of Jesus' mission, he reminds us that Jesus' mission is motivated by compassion. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. This word for compassion is a very strong word of motivation by uh, great emotion. Jesus was moved from deep inside of himself as he reflected upon the very nature of the people. Now, we just saw this summary statement of, of Matthew where Jesus is teaching and preaching, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he's also engaged in meeting the needs of where people are, we might be prone to think that as Jesus in this statement in verse 36 looks upon people and has compassion, that what Matthew is saying is Jesus is ultimately looking upon the physical needs of the people and seeing that they are so distraught, seeing that they are so helpless, seeing that they have such great need that Jesus is somehow motivated primarily with a desire to meet that physical need. But I want to propose to you this morning that as Matthew reflects on the ministry of Jesus, particularly in this text, that Matthew's concern here, or Jesus' concern here, as noted by Matthew, is not primarily upon the people, or not, not even primarily, it's not upon the people's physical needs. See, Jesus, friend, can see something far more desperate than what you or I could see. Jesus can see, even at this very moment, the very heart condition of all people. And what we see in this passage of Scripture is Jesus is motivated with compassion. He is moved at the very core of who he is because he sees the helpless, weary, thrown down, desperate spiritual need of the people he's been sent to minister to. Jesus sees that the ultimate need 
of every one of these Jewish people in the state of Israel is a deep, abiding faith and trust in the person of Jesus himself. Notice how Matthew depicts Jesus' compassion. This is what Jesus is motivated by. Notice how he depicts their spiritual state. He has compassion for them because they were harassed, they were weary, and they were helpless, they were thrown down. It is true, as you read the narrative of the Gospel of Matthew, that in the majority of the cases in which these words appear, it is in relationship to people's physical well-being. It is in relationship to the oppression that has taken place in the nation of Israel by the same people that have oppressed the people, if you will, spiritually. So you say, Pastor, how can you know in the context of this passage of Scripture that Jesus isn't primarily focused upon their physical needs? Notice what Jesus says next, or or Matthew says next. As Matthew reflects on this state of the people, what is their problem? They are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus doesn't say they are like a group of sick people without a physician. No, Jesus strikes at the very heart of their spiritual need. They are like sheep without a shepherd, a reference to a deeply troubling problem from the Old Testament. Numerous times in the Old Testament, we see the prophets having to speak against these shepherds who have not led their people. Listen in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34. As Ezekiel prophesies against the shepherds of Israel, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Verse seven, therefore you shepherds, Hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds had fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to the feeding, to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Ezekiel depicts a very similar situation as to what Matthew summarizes for us here in Matthew chapter 9. The problem for the nation of Israel is that the people tasked with the primary responsibility of proclaiming the true word of God to these people have failed in their responsibility to rightly communicate the truths of God's word. And friends... When the shepherds of the sheep fail to rightly communicate the word of God, there are always negative, spiritual, eternal implications. See, friends, the only way for you and me to walk rightly with the Lord is to be guided by the truths of Scripture. And when those tasked with rightly dividing the truths of Scripture preach a false gospel, communicate wrongly the implications of the gospel narrative, then all it does is create weak, anemic, faithless, powerless Christians or so-called Christians who neither know God nor His Word. And what's happened in the nation of Israel is the shepherds have failed to rightly proclaim the truths of God's Word. What have they done instead? They've exasperated the people. Notice what Matthew says has taken place. They have harassed the people. They've become weary. The people have become helpless. They've been thrown down. Matthew, in fact, would go on to speak of this narrative, particularly to the Pharisees and to the scribes. Listen to just a few of these woes from Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but do not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogue. So what happens? Jesus gives them some woes, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Verse 16, woe to you, blind guides. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Why these seven woes 
to the Pharisees and the scribes. Because these Pharisees and scribes were tasked with rightly dividing the truths of Scripture and rightly demonstrating the truths of Scripture. And they did neither. Instead, Matthew depicted them as being overbearing and burdensome to the people. And yet Jesus reminds us that the gospel narrative in himself is rightly opposite of that. So what does the gospel say? What does Jesus say? Matthew chapter 11, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, that's what the gospel frees you and me to do. Rest solely, completely, well in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus looked upon the spiritual condition of the people, and notice what the Bible says, he had compassion for them. It raises a question for you and me. If in being a Christian, we are to follow Christ, how do you view people? How do you see your neighbor who is lost without Christ? How do you see your family, your children, maybe a parent, an aunt, or an uncle that is far away from God? When you show up to work on a weekly basis, how are you viewing those people around you? Upward basketball coaches. God's given you a team of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players. How do you see those players? Primarily as a student who needs to learn the game of basketball or as one the Lord has entrusted to you to share the marvelous truths of the gospel of Christ? Is your life being motivated, being moved at its very core because of the lostness that is so pervasive around us? Think about the number of people who live in our communities. If you live in the zip code 70817, 
There are 25,500 plus people that live in area code 70817. In 70816, 43,000 people. The fifth largest zip code in the state of Louisiana is 70769. 45,285 people. The zip code that lies just to the west of our zip code where the church is located, 70809, 25,000 people. And in the entire metroplex of Baton Rouge, 870,000 people. the majority of whom have no relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, friends, one of the greatest ways that we can demonstrate we are like Christ is by demonstrating Christ's compassion for people. With whom are you sharing the gospel of Christ today? Who is located and seated in this sanctuary this morning because you took that gospel narrative and shared it? Matthew reminds us that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus' mission is our mission. Jesus' mission is motivated by compassion. But notice what Jesus himself teaches us here in verse 37. Jesus' mission is founded on prayer. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is literally huge. It's ginormous. It's so massive, it's, it's hard to comprehend. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to cast out, to compel out, to send out laborers, and to notice his harvest. There's a few things from this passage of Scripture in verse 37 I want us to, to note. Number one, Jesus says the harvest is huge. It's plentiful. What do we know about a harvest? How do we get to a harvest? How can I claim I have a harvest? Well, believe it or not, I grew up a country boy. I grew up on a 2,000 acre farm in the panhandle of Florida where we farmed a number of things. I try to tell my kids and they somewhat laugh at me when I say to them, at 10 years old, I was literally driving a tractor, uh, disking or, uh, uh, or, or cutting hay or baling hay, 
But there was something we had to do before we could claim we had a harvest, example of, of corn. A lot of work had to go into preparing so that we could claim we had a harvest. We had a massive irrigation system on this, on this farm. So you had to spend a, an exorbitant amount of time throughout the year just to make sure the irrigation system was working. You also had to spend an exorbitant amount of time plowing a field to make sure that that field was ready to send the planter in to actually plant the seed into the ground. And then you had to set the pivot. That was the, heart, that was the, the watering system to make sure that it was putting out water at the right amount of, of pressure, the right, right amount of, of tonnage per, per acre. And then you had to pray that you didn't have crazy weather patterns that would completely disrupt the entire, the entire process. And then at some point, the corn began to grow from the ground, and ears of corn began to grow on those corn stalks, and it was harvest time. And what did we do at harvest time? We sent combines into fields to pluck the harvest. Notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying there is a harvest. And notice Jesus isn't saying to his disciples, hey, go out and prepare for a harvest to come about. I've already noted a few moments ago that Jesus himself has already done for us what is needed in order to build that harvest. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus teaches from the Word of God. Jesus seeks to communicate the text of Scripture to the people, thus preparing their hearts to trust in Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 and 9 is going throughout the entire region of the nation of Israel, and Jesus is doing all of these miracles. Why is Jesus doing all of these miracles? Because he is bringing about that harvest. He is making ready the hearts of the people so that they might believe in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, friends, Jesus isn't calling you and me to go out and make a harvest. No, no, no. Jesus is saying to us, I've already gone out and done the work. Jesus has already gone out and created the harvest. See, friends, Jesus has done absolutely everything that is necessary for any person to come to faith in Christ. There isn't another work that you or I need to do, must do, in order for there to be a harvest. There is a harvest. Jesus has brought about that harvest. And speaking the truths of this harvest that is before the people, Paul has communicated clearly in Jesus' sufficient work concerning the harvest. In Romans chapter 12, Paul is going to make the argument that the fault of unbelief does not lie at the feet of Jesus, for Jesus 
Or we might more accurately say God has done all that is necessary for people to come to faith in Christ. Listen to what he says here in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing how? Through the word of Christ. And then Paul is going to take that truth, and he's going to summarize it for us in Romans chapter 10, verses 18, 19, and 20. And he's going to remind us that God through Christ has done absolutely everything that is necessary. It is not a fault of God. Why? Because the people have already heard. This is what Jesus' ministry was sent to accomplish. They've already heard the truths of the word of God. Matthew, Romans chapter 10, verse, verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Then he makes an appeal for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. It's not a problem in hearing. And notice what else Paul says. It's not a problem in knowing. Verse 19, but I ask, did Israel not understand? Did they not comprehend? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been formed, found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Israel can't even claim they didn't know. They've heard. They have known. They, they knew. And then look what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. But the righteousness based on faith. In other words, there's only one way to come into righteousness. There's only one way to be made right with God, and that is through faith. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up for the dead. What is Paul saying? Jesus has already done all that is necessary for humanity to know who he is. Jesus has been brought low in his incarnation. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Friends, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus has done all that is necessary for there to be a harvest. The question is not... What has Jesus done, or what is Jesus doing? The question is, how are you and I responding to Jesus' call? The harvest is huge. Jesus has already done everything to make a harvest, but what's the problem? The laborers are few. What is Jesus' solution to this problem? A seminar. A seminar on evangelism. Did you see that in the next text? Therefore, earnestly gather yourselves at church and be discipled for evangelism. Aha. 
Jesus' solution is we should send those boys that want to be pastors to seminary. The laborers are few. Call out the call and earnestly send them to seminary. No. Notice Jesus' plan. Jesus' mission is founded on prayer. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Drop down to chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Do you see that next phrase? To cast them out. In fact, this is a word that appears if you go back to the conversation in chapter 8 and chapter 9 as Jesus is casting out all these demons and, and the healing people. The same word that occurs in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, in terms of casting out demons, is the exact same word that Jesus uses as he reflects on sending out his people to live out their lives on mission with him. When you hear this phrase, he casts a demon out, what image is conjured up in your mind? Hey, you demon, come out of that man. Okay. Is that the image you get from being cast out? Is that the image you get when you think of being thrust out? Think about Jesus. in the Bay of Pigs, if you will. When Jesus cast the demons out, where did those demons go? Into those pigs, and what did those pigs do? Walk to the cliff? They ran! Jesus casts out those demons. When I, when I see this expression used in this uh, conversation with demons, I get this idea of these demons being thrust out like a jet engine, uh, thrust down a runway to take off. It wasn't a pretty, kind, calm image. No, those demons were being thrown out of that person. They landed in those pigs, and those pigs took off running violently off a cliff and toward their death. Do you think of yourselves as a missionary from God being sent out? Well, guess I have to tell those neighbors about Jesus today. Or are you living your life on mission with God every day as though you are being thrust out, shot out like a bullet out of a rifle 
on mission to hit a target for Jesus. See, when Jesus reflects upon the mission of God, he understands, and in this mission on God, it requires an army of believers who are being thrust out on mission with Christ to go where? After his harvest. It's not my harvest. It's not your harvest. It's God's harvest. And how do we prepare for that harvest? Through prayer. One theologian said it this way, where there is prayer, there is mission. And can we just pause for a moment of individual and corporate confession and acknowledge that one of the weaknesses of the modern-day evangelical church in prayer, including this church, is a lack of prayer. When Jesus himself said to us, my house shall be known as what? A house of prayer. We should prepare, and we're going to do that starting tonight, this afternoon. We're hosting a discipleship conversation for the next four weeks to equip you to go out and to share the gospel. We want you to be encouraged by that. But come back to this text of Scripture, and what does Jesus say? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Perhaps at times we've had the mission completely in reverse. Go at all times and only pray when we think it's necessary. When Jesus is saying, pray at all times. What a tragedy for us to spend the next four weeks equipping you for conversations on discipleship, but not leading you to pray. For the next four weeks, in conjunction with our discipleship time of, of evangelism, we're going to host two prayer times on Wednesday nights. We're going to host one prayer time from 5 until 5.45, and another prayer time beginning at 6. The first prayer time we'll host here in our assembly room, and the next prayer time we'll host in the house. Two prayer times because some of you are working or you have to get here and eat. As some of you uh, eat before you come and have little res responsibility on campus before, before choir. So we want to give you an opportunity, regardless of what you're doing on this campus on, sun on Wednesday nights, to join us for an intentional time of praying for lost people. Praying that God would raise up in the life of this church a force 
of Bible-believing Christians to go out and take the gospel of Christ into a community with nearly one million people who so desperately need to hear the truths of God's word. You see what Jesus has done, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19? I'm going to make you fishers of men. From chapter 4 until chapter 10, Jesus is the sole fisher of men. But notice, notice the mission thrust of chapter 10. It begins in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Jesus says to his disciples, hey guys, let's pray. The mission is founded on prayer. We're going to pray for the Lord to raise up a group of people to go. And everybody in the church says, amen, I'll gather and pray. It's kind of like prayer walking. I will go prayer walk my neighborhood. Lord, send somebody to that house and somebody to that house and somebody over to that house. Just not me. So Jesus says, okay, boys, we've spent time praying for the Lord to raise up someone to go into the mission field. And then notice what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Who are those who are going to bear the responsibility of taking the gospel narrative to those who do not hear? Well, you disciples. You see what Jesus does? He tasked his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 to live out what he promised they would do in Matthew chapter 4, be fishers of men. So Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 4 shares with us this call of these 12 disciples who would go and take the gospel narrative. And this must be really exciting. Can you imagine that first IMB sending ceremony with Jesus the Baptist? What an exciting sending ceremony. I've been sent by Jesus. Man, first class tickets on uh, El Air Airways to go and take the gospel to whatever country, right? Ooh, look at Jesus' words of encouragement to these disciples who would be the first to take the gospel narrative around the world. Verse 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, run home and hide and cower in darkness. Flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Are you ready to be thrust out, church? Are you ready for that mission? 
Are you ready for that gospel call? Verse 34, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Are you encouraged yet to be sent out? But notice how Jesus concludes this missionary thrust of chapter 10. Last week, our preacher encouraged us to stay with Jesus. Jesus has already told us the greatest reward for those who stay with Jesus is he who endures to the end will what? Be saved. But Jesus concludes here in chapter 10, verse 40 through 42, with this promise, whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. And the one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of the little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You see what Jesus says is the reward of staying focused on the mission of God? One, it communicates your own salvation. He who endures to the end will be saved. We never more communicate our salvation than when we are faithful and proclaiming the truths of God's word. But notice chapter 10, verses 40, 41, and 42. Did you see the other reward? When you go out as a prophet, when you go out as a righteous person, when you go out as one of these little ones, a reference to the disciples being no one in society, when you go out as one of those people and you rightly proclaim the truths of God's word and people hear, guess what happens? The one who hears receives the prophet's reward. The one that you give that, that cold cup of water to and they, they accept it and they, and they receive it, he will by no means lose his reward. Do you know what Jesus is saying, friends? When we go out and we proclaim the gospel, we get to participate in that reward and seeing other people come to faith in Christ. Are you seeing that reward, friend? Reflecting upon the state of the evangelical church, one theologian reflecting upon this narrative in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, said these words, quote, For too many Christians, Jesus is little more than the last line item on their portfolio. Medical insurance, accidental insurance, 
mortgage insurance, life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care insurance, and oh, now, eternal life insurance. Paid for by church attendance. They are playing games with their eternal destiny, and they must wake up to the demands of discipleship. They must get involved. Will you pledge anew this morning to get involved? Will we, Woodlawn Baptist Church, pledge anew to get involved? Why? Jesus' mission is our mission. Grounded in compassion founded upon prayer and demonstrated by obedience in proclaiming the truths of God's Word. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we spend a few moments as your church reflecting upon your Word, We ask, Lord, that you would take the truths of this word and impress them deeply upon our hearts. Lord, we ask this morning, as we reflect on this text of Scripture in our lives individually and our lives corporately, that you would so move in our hearts by your Spirit this morning that we might be able to say collectively, Woodlawn Baptist Church shares in Jesus' compassion. Where you're seated this morning, would you spend a few moments reflecting upon the Word of God? How do you see the truths of this text of Scripture being lived out in your life? In what ways are you being motivated by the eternal lostness of those around you. This past week, a church member shared with me they had a conversation in a Starbucks with a young lady that lasted about 30 minutes. And after that conversation, Related to college, the young lady said to our church member, you're a godsend to me. Our church member went and got in her van to leave the shopping center and was so convicted by the Spirit that she got back out of her vehicle 
and went back into the store to search for this young lady because that young lady said to her, you're a godsend to me, and she didn't share the gospel. She searched around Target until she found this young lady, and she said, I've got to ask you to forgive me. You told me I was a godsend, and I never shared with you the truths of God's word. We're having conversations, friends, every day with people. And their eternal souls are hanging in the balance. What are you more concerned about? They get the right college, the right job, or a right eternal state? Would you ask God where you're seated this morning to increase in your heart a compassion for people? Would you commit to praying? Would you commit to joining us on this campus over the course of the next month and praying? And as we stand and sing in just a few moments, we have some brochures here on the front that are a 30-day guide for you to intentionally pray for one single lost person in your life. you're willing to join me and others over the course of the next month in praying for one person, I'm asking you as we stand and sing in just a few moments, come forward and grab one of these booklets and join us in the next 30 days in intentionally praying. Friend, maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ. You've heard us talk about this gospel narrative and the encouragement that Jesus has given to those who by faith have already trusted in Christ to be sent out, and that indeed is the narrative of this story this morning. But you know in your own life you've never trusted in Christ, and that if life were to end for you today, you would enter into an eternity separated from this loving, holy, righteous, good God in a place that the Bible calls hell. And you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ. Myself and Pastor Travis, as we sing, we'll be standing down front. We'd be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, don't feel like you have to come talk to one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you in this auditorium. There are plenty of people in this auditorium that would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, maybe you'd like for one of us, myself or Pastor Travis, to pray with you that indeed the truths of this text might be lived out in your life. Or perhaps you have one person you already know about in your life, and you'd like for us to join you in praying that the Lord would send you out to go share the gospel with them. We would delight in shepherding your heart as we sing by praying for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed it upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord... As we respond to you now, we ask our response might be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.